since the beginning of time, there's a miracle that's been taking place between God, mothers, and children. That when a woman conceives a child, and that moment takes place, that God begins to work on the inside of a mother, knitting together beautiful miracles for the whole world. Each and every one of us are one of those miracles. Did you realize that? We were knit together in our mother's womb by the hand and the power of God. Now, God did not do that work, and, and even as we've watched this video and we understand how much our mothers do, he didn't do that work and leave mothers powerless, but he gave them power to be an influence in their children's lives. Can you say amen? So I want to talk to you today about the power of a mother's influence. And before we get too deep into this, I want to read our opening scripture, and that's Psalms 139 and verse 13 through 14. It says this, For you formed me and my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Today we honor our mothers. When you think of how much they really do, uh, being a mother is not an easy responsibility. Can I get an amen in the house this morning? It's not an easy responsibility. By the time a child reaches 18, a mother has had to handle some extra 18,000 and possibly more, depending on how many kids she has, uh, hours of additional work in her life. Men, give a big amen to our mothers this morning. A junior uh, science teacher lectured on the properties of magnets for an entire class. The next day, he gave his students a quiz. The first question read like this. My name begins with M, has six letters, and I pick things up. What am I? Half the kids in the class wrote mother. <laughs> Come on, moms, isn't that true? <laughs> that reminds me of a story about a father who was trying to explain to his child about how his mom and, and how her mom and he had gotten married and what marriage meant and how the wedding went and all of that. So he, he thought it would be uh, easier to explain it if he pulled out the wedding pictures and showed her pictures of the wedding and all that took place on that day. And so he went through the whole story of how mommy and, and daddy love each other and they came together and they were married and, and then we had you and so on and so forth. And the, he says, so, so do you understand? Do you have any questions? And she pointed at the picture at her mom and she says, is that the day mommy came to work for us? Huh? <laughs> it's kind of how kids can perceive it, isn't it? I was thinking a lot this week on how much mothers do. The first thing, without mothers, none of us would be here. Their influence is, is first and foremost the reason why we're here. Life would be really gross without our mothers. And you think of all the diapers that they've changed, and then you think of those teenage boys who don't like to take showers after they've been out playing all day. I remember uh, Angie saying to Wade numerous times, get in there and get a shower now. You know? <laughs> Come here, let me smell your feet. Did you wash your feet? You know, uh, Without mothers, life would be pretty gross. <laughs> what about, uh, if you will, moms, how much they help with homework and cook and clean for us, wash our clothes, provide a never-ending taxi service. Come on, ladies. Hmm. Kiss our boo-boos. Encourage us when we're brokenhearted. They're our greatest cheerleaders. They discipline us when we need it. Constantly pray for us even when everyone else has given up on us. They're the ones that are the go-to uh, 
parents, if you will, in those times. Dads, we can tend to come down on our kids. Like, look, you need to just, uh, this is what I did. Maybe all the dads in here aren't that way. But I would look at my kids and like, look, you need to just kind of get a hold of your emotions. You know, the situation isn't going to change just because you cry. You need to take control of life and you need to accomplish, you know. We're, we're the ones that, you know, give them that hard charging kind of thing. And I think the military in me had something to do with that. You know, Angie would always say, we are not your soldiers. I'd say, I know that. But discipline's a good thing, and drive is a good thing, and so suck it up and drive on, right? <laughs> she come, come a mama, you know. She would encourage them, and uh, I think it's a, a great team. Moms and dads are a great team, but their influence has great power to encourage children. Take, they uh, will take a little sass, if you will. Uh, they'll take a little sass, but they never give a pass for disrespect. Moms who understand the power of their influence, they'll take a little bit of sass from their kids, but they will never give a pass to disrespect. They will always rein that in. Uh, They sacrifice their needs for ours, and most importantly, they mold us through unconditional love. Can you say amen? Well, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, said this, men are what their mothers make them. And an old Spanish proverb says, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. Let me say this, An ounce of a good mother who understands the power of her influence is worth more than a pound of a pastor in your life every day. There are some great portraits in Scripture that we find of mothers. It shows us the power of their influence. I love the picture of uh, the mother of Moses, if you will, who cared enough for her son to risk her life by breaking the law to rescue her son from being put to death. If you'll remember, all the babies that were that age in the land of Egypt at that time were killed. And Moses' mother takes him and goes to the Nile, and she, she weaves this basket. She puts him in the basket and sends him down the Nile. And wouldn't you know it, here's Pharaoh's daughter. <laughs> the one who gives the order to kill all the children is down there in the, she's in the water at the Nile, and here comes this basket floating down the Nile. Moses, if you will, is the type and shadow of Christ. He was known to be a deliverer. And just as in Moses' time, all the babies were being put to death, in Jesus' time, all the children were being killed because uh, the king heard that there was a child that was going to be the king. He was born to be king. But more than that, he was born to be redeemer. And if you look at Moses' mother in that time, she takes the risk of breaking that law, risks her own life, by sparing her child and sending him down the Nile. And of course, here's Pharaoh's daughter, who takes him in. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, the whole desire she had is that Moses would be raised to understand what it was to live by God's ways. Well, how's he going to do that in Pharaoh's house? She told her daughter, who was older than Moses, Miriam, she says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and say that I'll find a, a a, a nursemaid for you. Because it was a baby, and he was still nursing. And so she says to Pharaoh's daughter, I'll find a nursemaid for you. And she she runs to Pharaoh's daughter, says it, and then goes back to her mother, and she escorts mom back to raise her own child. Come on, somebody. That is a smart mama. Come on. There's some powerful influence going on there. And so much so, she instilled those teachings in him. While he learned all the customs and ways of Egypt, he was learning the ways of God alongside And what prevailed? The power of God through an influential mother raised the child who became a deliverer for the children of Israel. 
Hmm. Think about the sacrificial mother who appeared before King Solomon. When one mother's baby died, she rolled over in the night and smothered her child. And so what she did is she woke up and realized it, and so she swaps her baby out for the other woman's baby. And when the, when the mom wakes up, she knew it wasn't her child that was dead. She knew the other woman had taken her child, and so the problem is brought before King Solomon. And when that problem is brought before King Solomon, he, being the wise king he was, said, bring the child to me. Now you can imagine the mother's like, thank God I'm going to get my child back. And King Solomon did determine whose child it really was says bring me a sword and cut the baby in half the real mother said no she can have the child king solomon said give it to her why because the real mother wasn't going to let her child perish and think of the mother of james and john loved her children so much and loved god and his ways so much she wanted her sons to sit to the right and the left hand you know oftentimes that story draws it's like man they you know they just wanted to be in that place and it's pride and so on but that mama loved her kids and she's like man i want them to be the best they can for god i want them to set to your right and your left hand and of course jesus says that look that's not mine to give but my father's which is in, which is in heaven and basically he gets down to this when they're all talking about who's going to be the greatest among them he gets down to this and says Hey, if you're able to drink the cup that I drank from, if you're able to suffer the way that I have suffered for the ways of God and for the people of God, if you'll give your life for the other people's sake, then you'll find greatness. Because the he becomes the least will be the greatest in what? The kingdom of God. Jesus became the least. Why? He who knew no sin became sin for all of us. Jesus humbled himself to the point of being a servant, even to the point of the cross and dying for all mankind. And in doing so, he drank a cup that no one else could drink. Some might get close in their suffering at times or, or difficulties or challenges or living for God and being persecuted for our faith. But the reality is this, none of us will ever attain to the suffering. None of us will ever attain to the rejection that Jesus endured because he did it without sin, without any wrong, never did wrong to anyone. And he endured that kind of suffering for our sake. Now, we know something about Jesus. How many of you would agree that he had a good mama who was influential in his life? It's obvious she was influential in his life. How do we know that? Because when he's dying on the cross, one of his last concerns is what? His mama. Come on. He's dying on that cross. And what does he do? He looks down at John, his beloved disciple, and he says, Behold your mother. <laughs> and to his mother, behold your son. What? I'm not going to leave you untaken care of i'm going to ensure look john take care of my mama <laughs> you know she needs somebody to be there for her and he ensures that his mom's going to be taken care of why because she was willing to be used by god to bring forth the only begotten son of god hmm. and you think about that her submission to the holy spirit to come upon her Calls her to be with child, the immaculate conception that we read about and understand that Jesus is different than anybody else because while all human, he is also all God. This is the reason why he was able to, uh, to conquer sin, to conquer death, is because of who he was, because of the nature that was in him. But his human nature, his human nature, the Bible says that he endured every temptation that we endure. The things that we may give into from time to time, Jesus did not. And because of that, he could condemn it in the flesh because he was also all God. 
I'm aware that Mother's Day is a difficult day for many people. I want to share some of those things that may be going on in some people's mind in the room today. And maybe you want to be a mother, but you can't. You've, you've wanted to have a child, and you couldn't have a child. And I want you to know that God can still use you to mother the people around you. Perhaps some of you have not had the best mother in the world. I can relate to a little bit of that. I love my mom. She's a, she's a good woman, but it's like many times she wasn't there. But my grandmother, my grandma now, she, she was the one that stepped in in so many ways. She was the one that encouraged me and helped me to know that I was loved when I was told that I was unwanted, when I was told that I would never be anything. She was the one that stepped in. Honey, don't listen to them. You're going to be great. God's going to use you. She would, she would speak those life-giving words into me. And because of that, she has become probably the one I look to the most as being the example of godly influence. And the power that she had to influence me has trickled down to my children and now to my children's children. Can you say amen? We're going to look at something about that in a moment. Some of you may have had a, a mother who has died. And it's a painful time for you. Some of you have uh, in here are mothers that have lost a child. And it's a painful time with respect to thinking of uh, where you could have been a mother to that child. Some of you mothers feel pain of a wayward child this morning. Kids that, that you just don't have a close relationship. They're just wayward in their relationship with you. And some of you may be flying solo as you work to nurture your children and raise them without a father at your side. So the big idea today, the power of a mother's influence. A mother can make a significant, practical, and spiritual impact by the way she raises her children. I want to share this story with you. A grandmother and a mother, uh, a grandmother, a mother, and a boy. I introduce you to a young woman named Eunice. She was raised in a religious home and was greatly impacted by her mother, Lois. She loved to learn the stories from the Bible when she was a young lady and enjoyed going to services where she could learn about God. As she approached her teenage years, she was still focused on spiritual matters, but she, uh, 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 excuse me, and she was approached uh, in her teenage years by a young boy that uh, was not interested in spiritual things. Against the best wishes of her godly mother, the teaching of her faith, and the tug of her conscience, she married the man. Don't get me wrong, he was a nice guy, but thought spiritual matters were for weak people. After a couple of years of marriage, Eunice and her husband had a baby boy, and they called him Timothy. In the meantime, Eunice, uh, Eunice's dad had died, so they asked her mother, Lois, to come and live with them. Little Timmy was a delight to everyone. Both his mother and grandmother spent hours with him, teaching him stories of the Old Testament, praying with him, and uh, training him in the things of God. No veggie tale videos, no children's church nearby to help little Timmy learn. Only grandma and mom teaching him the things of scripture. They created a spiritual environment where he could flourish. Then one day a preacher named Paul came to their town of Lystra and spoke about a man named Jesus. Both Lois and Eunice listened intently. They saw in Jesus the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament and placed their trust in him and were converted, that their faith was in Christ, then his work for them, not their works toward him. These new believers, in turn, focused on uh, teaching Timothy all about who Jesus was. We know from reading the book of Acts that Paul himself took a personal interest in Timothy, the teenager, and partnering with his mother and grandmother led him to a saving faith. 
Later, Paul and Timothy partner together in ministry as, as the gospel continues to spread throughout the area. Many years later, while Paul is in prison awaiting his execution for preaching the gospel, he writes two letters to young Timothy. These two letters contain the teachings about how Timothy should behave as a church leader and are also filled with some uh, reminiscing moments of nostalgia for Paul. As Paul writes these letters, we know as First and Second Timothy, he reflects on the power of two mothers' influence that mold a young man by instilling a love for God's word and an authentic faith. Let's look a little closer at that. Number one, a love for God's word. Through Timothy 3.12, Paul reminds Timothy that everyone who wants to get, uh, live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. Then in verse 14, Paul urges Timothy to stay the course when tough times come. 2 Timothy 3.12-14 through 14 says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. You know those from whom you learned it. Timothy not only learned things cognitively, he made a practice of owning them. He studied them. They became part of his life. It wasn't just knowledge he had. It was actions that he responded with to the words that he was learning. Now, for, for good reason, he was able to do this because he had both grandma and mom, right? The power that God gave them to be an influence to him as an example caused him to know how to put those things in action because grandmother and mother were living those out. The mother of a daughter and the, the, the mother of a son were living those things out in front of them. So it wasn't a dead faith. It wasn't something that was, if you will, not alive, but it was alive. It was authentic being recognized in his mother and his grandmother. So Timothy had that example to follow. 2 Timothy 3.15 says uh, this, to, uh, um, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. From infancy. Here's kind of what the Bible means about that. Baby. We're talking baby, baby, and toddler. That's what that, that word means when it says infancy. It means baby and toddler. Kind of show you what some of that looks like when I watch Angie carrying Elijah around at night, when she's singing over him, you know, or speak, Jesus loves you, or whatever it is. It's little things that you start to speak into your children from infancy, and then they move from infancy and begin to grow into maturity into the things of God as you continue to be an example to them by doing what? By living it out in front of them. You become the VeggieTales movie to your kids. Give me my water. I'm getting raspy. <clears throat> you become the VeggieTales movie to your kids. I know that may sound crazy. I think of Angie and I with, with the kids when they were little. <laughs> and how we would pop in some songs. You know, we'd praise the Lord right in our living room. Now, this is fun in here. I mean, I enjoy, and the team works so hard to, to bring this time of worship and it's it, some people would say it's kind of like a rock concert and others you know it, it's a great time but let me say that it doesn't even compare to the time that your children have with you when you pop a song in you pop some music in and you begin to dance around with them and praise the Lord now Elijah and I have this 
little dance that goes on, and Angie, she comes into the room, we're all, I know, right? Embarrassing us, isn't it, you know? It's, it's such a blessing to be near our kids and be able to, to be involved in their life, and it has this generational reflection like we're reading about here in Timothy, that you have the grandparents, if you will, grandma, and then you got mom, you know, the dads are involved in that one, and that's fun, but it's Mother's Day, so we're going to focus on moms, right? And there's nothing quite like getting him in the room, and you plug that music in, a little Jesus song or whatever it is, and he gets the, here's his deal. You know, he's got his dance stance, you know what I mean? It's like, he's like this, and then it's this. Now, you all know what I'm talking about if you've had babies, right? They got to do that because it's a balance issue, right? And they learn that quick, so it goes apart, <laughs> right? And that song starts going, and we start, Jesus, love, you know, and we dance around with him, and it's the little simple things that from infancy that you begin to speak into your child, the power of a mother's influence to instill in your child a love for God, amen? In the manner of the devout Israelites, if you will, grandmother Lois and mother Eunice taught the Holy Scriptures to Timothy from the beginning. Uh, it, it moves to this place, if you will, in their hearts of displaying to Timothy out of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise say all the time all the time now does that mean all day you're doing that no but at times all day you're imparting those things to your children mothers who understand the power of their influence and the limitations of their influence. What do I mean by that? Mothers that understand the power of their influence is that if they can turn the heart of their child to God, to love him with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, if they can turn that child to look to God, then what happens where your shortcomings kick in, your limitations. Let me show you your greatest limitation. Your child turns 18 and goes off to college. Your child turns 18 and goes off to the army. And it's like, man, we raised him right, but I hope he can live this out. You turn your heart's child to God. You got a, a certain amount of years to foster that in your children so that when they grow old, that's what that scripture, when they grow old, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they grow old, they won't depart from it. Now, they might meander around a little bit here and there. You all meandered, you know what I'm saying? We've, we've all had our wanderings and moments, right? And, and our children do. It's like, you know, with Wade, uh, you know, I, I told the story. We were up in uh, South Dakota, and I was sharing there, and I was telling the story a little bit about uh, being life-giving and the importance of staying in the things of God. And, and uh, I was sharing about Angie and one of her encounters with Wade. Now, I actually learned some new things about that encounter that I did not know. That at one point, it's kind of like a mama's raising her son to honor God, to honor her, his mother, right? Come on now, say amen, mamas. 
right, to honor his mother, right, that it may go, this is the first commandment with blessings, what the Bible says, honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you, this is the first commandment with blessing, that you may have long life on the earth, and not just long life, but see, what uh, uh, precedes that is it says a blessed life, you'll have a good life, honor mommy and daddy, today we focus on honoring mommy, so Wade had this little hoe chasing him around, Y'all know what I mean when I say that? That's not a disrespectful thing. I'm just saying that she was uh, all talking to Wade about wanting to bed him at like 17 years old, right? Like, oh, I wanted this and I wanted that. And, and uh, so Angie, uh, uh, you go to his Twitter. She goes to his Twitter. And, and let me say, you need to check up on your kids, parents. You need to, and y- youth say amen. And you're like, Amen. Doggone it. Shut up, Pastor. I want to go. Can we go now? We want to go to dinner with our mom. You know. <clears throat> you need to check up. Angie was checking up. I was like, what? Little girl talking about wanting to get my boy in bed, you know. And what I learned, I thought he got home from school when Angie had a talk with him. No, 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 no. Uh, Angie let me know. No, that's not the way it happened, honey. The way it happened was, is I read the Twitter, and I see him, like, not saying, hey, you know, this ain't happening. Uh, he's kind of like, oh, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> hard eyes and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we're raising him up in the way he should go that when he grows old, he won't depart from it. 17 is getting up there. Come on and say amen. Youth, you can give me an amen because you're like, yeah, I can make my own decisions. Yeah, it's great. Teenagers are crazy. Chemicals washing over their brain. Parents trying to raise them to be adults, but they're still acting like kids. So what happens, yeah, you can have, you got your phone, you got Twitter, and you got freedom. But if I see you start acting like a little child, I'm going to step back in and start mothering you. See what I'm saying? And mama that day is like, oh, that ain't my grown, respectful. That's not the man I'm raising, thank you very much. And so she shows up at school, I heard. He didn't come home from school. She shows up at school, signs him out. He comes to the office like, what's up, mom? In the car now. What's going on? You know that deal when your mama looks at you like, in the car. Mom, what's going on? Just get in the car right now. And that's when the kids, that's when it really goes child. Like, you know, oh, I'm a big man, you know. Just get in the car now. It's like, okay, Mom. <laughs> hmm. You know, at least she didn't drag him out by his ear. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. He gets to the car. Was it, was it at the school or at home? You got home. At school what happened? Man, you were really risky there. Social service could have stepped in on that one. Anyway, she starts having to talk with him. He starts reasoning with her from his childlike perspective rather than adult perspective of how you treat women and how, you know, how women should, should treat a man, if you will. Don't, don't give herself away cheaply, but understand her value, right? And that she should want a man that understands that value and says, look, you know, don't cheapen yourself. Let me say you're beautiful and you're worth more than just giving yourself away for nothing. <laughs> so... Angie gets in the car, and Wade starts reasoning with her, and then all reason came to a close. When Angie's flip-flop came off her foot, and she starts smacking him on the arm, don't, you're not going to treat a woman that way. You disrespect me. You don't honor me. You know, life ain't going to go well with you, and it wasn't going well right then. You know what I'm saying? Now, she didn't hurt him, but I tell you what, it hurt him that he dishonored his mother. Because he was raised and taught how to honor, 
when he realized his dishonor, his heart was broken. His pride, his pride was let go, and humility took a hold of him, and he began to ask for forgiveness because it was not the way that he was raised and certainly not the way he should treat a woman. Can you say amen? So a mother's influence is very powerful, especially when she has a flip-flop. <laughs> Mothers, it's never too early to start teaching your children the Bible. Never too early. And if you haven't been and your kids are a little bit older, it's never too late to start either. Make it an important part of what you do with your children. Four scholars were arguing... God, let me rewind that. Four scholars were arguing over Bible translations. That happens a lot with scholars. One said that he preferred the King James Version because of its beauty and eloquent old English. That's the these thous and those, if thou will only cometh to me kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, man, I can't read this. It's just killing me. So, so one loved it for that, and the other said that he liked the New American Standard Version for its literalism and how it moves the reader from passage to passage with confident feelings of accuracy from the original text. The, skirt, uh, the third scholar was sold on the New Living Translation for its use of contemporary phrases and uh, idioms uh, that capture the meaning of difficult ideas. After being quiet for a moment, the fourth scholar admitted, I have personally preferred my mother's translation. When the other uh, scholars started laughing, he said, yes, she translated the scriptures. My mom translated each page of the Bible into life. And when I was in a situation, my mother would translate, this is what that means. I think of the times that I would watch my kids come home from school being made fun of or, or ridiculed or things are going difficult in their life or they've got a friend that's not their friend anymore because they won't do everything they want them to do and so on and they come home and it's like I don't know what to do and I just maybe I should just do what they want me to do and compromise no so what what I would watch Angie do is open the Bible and say hey look look at this look what the scripture says here's what it says this is this is how God can help you walk through that it's one of the things too that I'll say about the power of a mother men it doesn't exempt us Angie and I came into agreement about how we wanted to raise our kids. We let the Word of God determine for us what those standards were going to be. We're not law unto ourselves, but God's Word guides us through life. And in doing that, when we are in agreement, all of a sudden what happens when mom and dad are talking to their kids, the influence that it has over them because of the agreement allows them to trust what is being said. Now, to trust, say trust, but it's up to them to put it to the test, right? And let me say, so many times when kids get out there on their own or they're in those places of making those decisions, let me tell you what happens. You know what God's voice sounds like to them? It sounds like the parent's voice oftentimes. You know why? Because the parent was the one speaking the word of God into them. Wade would say this, you know, Dad, it's kind of crazy. Sometimes I'm in situations and it's like I don't know what to do and then I'm thinking, like, what should I do? What should I do? And then it's like I hear something your mom taught me. Kind of like I hear your voice speaking to me. And it's not ours. It's the Spirit of God bringing to remembrance 
the word of God that's been spoken into him. It's not just knowledge. It's revelation. It's something that becomes a part of who he is as a result of the spirit of God inspiring it. Why? Because the word of God is not dead. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Even dividing asunder, separating joints from marrow, that it actually speaks to a person. And that when the word of God speaks to a person that way, and they begin to speak, people take note. It's like, man, there's a confidence there. There's a confidence there that's not prideful. What? Why is that? Because it's submitted. Just think about it this way. If everybody is, is simply self-governed and we're all law unto ourselves, then where do we submit? You know, eventually what, what happens with that? Let me, let me tell you where, in watching our society and seeing the way the world is working right now, look, this is not something new. God's not sitting in heaven going, wow, I'm so surprised at what's going on in the earth right now. He's not. He's not surprised at it. It's nothing new. It's happened before. These kind of things have taken place to where you see the shiftings of governments and powers and all those things taking place, and, and we get all worked up about it. And let me say something. We should not be in fear. No matter what happens, no matter what happens in, in the world, Jesus will still be sitting on the throne. And nothing is going to catch him by surprise. But how we act toward it ought to be one that reflects that we have a faith in the one that is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And one day all this will wrap up, and trust me, it'll finish exactly the way God said it's going to finish. Until then, that's kind of what faith is. And see, when, people are, when, when young people are raised the right way in the things of God, what happens is they're not law unto themselves. What I want to do, the relativism of our society that says, I'll do whatever I want, you do whatever you want, and eventually those lines start to cross and people start violating one another's feelings and, well, you're judging me, well, you're judging me. <laughs> and you know what it honestly feels like to watch our society today? Like it was raising our kids when they were little. I am not even joking. And I know it sounds funny, but it's not. It's sad. Part of it has to do with the fact that mankind starts to become law unto themselves and so what I want is the way that it is and I don't care what you want and it reminds me of an argument that these two beautiful young ladies sitting here had when they were little girls some of you have heard me talk about that before well you did that to me but you did this and, and I mean here's the thing like we're talking like I don't know maybe four and and six is about how old you guys probably was and I'm talking man it was just like y'all ever been around a hen house I mean, they're just going at it, and I'm like, I'm like, whoa, what is going on? It's like, she did this, well, you did that, and you did this, well, you did that. It's like watching our society today. It's like it's parentless. It's lost the understanding of the power that God has given us to influence for the greater good of all. And the greater good of all has to honor him, or it won't be the greater good of all. It's in him we live and move and have our being. And unless we honor him, we don't get the benefits of the blessing that come and the long life that we are guaranteed by him on earth. What happens is, is everybody's at each other's throats. They were at each other's throats that day. And this is a principle Angie and I agreed on. We are united front, right, baby? United front. Why? Because my kid's like, well, I'll talk to dad about it, right? Uh, Mom will say, it's okay, daddy and I have already talked. Right? And I'll never forget, hey, you all work this out. 
figure this out. And if you can agree and forgive one another and love each other and serve one another, then I'll tell you what, neither one of you will get a spanking. Huh? Yeah, I'm going to spank you both if you don't figure this out and work together. <laughs> and Angie and I are in full agreement on that. We never beat our children, but we certainly spanked them. Didn't have to spank them much when you told them, like, look, a spanking's coming if you don't work it out. And the two of them are out there, and the door shuts. They're on the front porch, and they start having this little talk. And I'm over there eavesdropping through the door. <laughs> but you did this, kind of whispering. You know, but you did that. Yeah, but you... And then Danielle, voice of reason, the oldest one, comes in and says, Vanessa, Dad's going to spank both of us if we don't figure this out. I'm sorry. She goes, I'm sorry, too. And so they start chatting, and then they're like, let's go tell Dad. I'm like, across the room, in my chair, book up. They come walking in the front door. Daddy. Yes. We worked it out. I'm like, that's great. Train for the child in the way they should go. When they grow, they won't depart from it. I watch these young ladies use those same principles to work their relationships with other people today and now they become leaders to speak into other people's lives how they can work through those kind of challenges and problems can you say amen <clears throat> mothers let me challenge you to this be a living epistle to your children the greatest way you can show them a love for God's word is to be a living epistle what is that a living teaching of God's word that you're living God's word out in your own life and they're reading your life when they read your life, they don't just have the words of it. They have the example to follow. Can you say amen? And then the second thing is an authentic faith. The second way to make an impact in the lives of your children is by instilling an authentic faith in them. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, an authentic faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells with you. Even though Lois and Eunice were believers, Timothy needed to come to the point of faith in choosing Christ for what he had did for his life as much as his parents did. As much as his mom and his grandmother did, Timothy had to come to that place of choosing to give his life over to Christ because Christ gave his, his life for him. The word sincere related to faith means that, uh, that is what is unhypocritical. It's unhypocritical. What's one of the greatest accusations against the church? What does everybody like to say? They're just a bunch of hypocrites, right? Okay, well, welcome to the club. Why? Sincere faith doesn't mean perfect faith. Jesus is perfecting faith in us, but that is an action. That's a process that's taking place in us. And the moment that we begin to, to set the measurement up and say that when I give my life to Christ, I'm never going to do anything wrong. I'm never going to get upset. I'm never going to say something wrong. I'm never going to do something wrong. What we do is we set ourselves up for failure and we put ourselves in this place. When we talk about faith that way, we set it in a place where everybody basically can judge and say that if, you don't, if you're not perfect, then you're a hypocrite. The reality is this, is when you admit that you're not perfect and you have a need for a Savior who was, welcome to working out your faith with fear and trembling unto God. Your reasonable act of worship your reasonable act of worship is to submit to his process in your life, not to all of a sudden say, because I accepted Jesus, what happens is, is I do no wrong. When we have that kind of attitude, that's where people 
can then begin to say we're hypocrites. Why? We're not perfect. Can you say amen? Yeah. Hmm. Moms, if you want to instill, instill authentic faith in your children, then you better take your own faith seriously. If you're uh, not just going through the motions, your children won't go through the motions either. As I think about the kind of faith that was passed from mother to mother to son, I'm convinced that a mother like this has to be more interested in having her children know the Bible than to be able to speak another language before they're five. You ever hear people like, you know, they're, they're so uh, invested that they want their kids to know this and they want their kids to know that, and yet it's like God's, God's on the back burner and what ends up happening, those are the most formative years, those are the most important years to molding our children. Like I say, it's too, never too late to start, but you can always start as early uh, as possible. A mother like this is more interested in her child's soul than in their bodies or their clothes. Her children's eternal life than their success in life. Her children's relationship with Jesus than the popularity of the world. When I look at, at social media today, where young people are so wrapped up in the likes, so wrapped up in the posts, the popularity, you know, and even... Um, uh, psychologists and sociologists are beginning to talk about the, the fact of how it's changing the way people think. It actually is contributing to narcissism. You know what narcissism is? It's all about me. Narcissism means that it's so self-interested that it can't see the importance of other people. And let me say this, Jesus came, and I'm, you're talking about somebody that could have some Facebook posts or some Twitter posts? Jesus comes and he heals the the blind man, right? What's he do? He says, go and show yourself to the priest. Don't talk about me. Go show yourself to the priest to fulfill the what? The law. Because he didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. So he doesn't start to, hey, uh, everybody, look what I did. He sends him to follow the order. Jesus himself was submitted. He was not law unto himself, but submitted to God in human form. He was submitted to God in all that he did. He goes and he delivers the, what we know to be the Gadarean demoniac. Everybody remember that story? The guy who had a legion of demons in him? Comes, he's cutting himself, he's naked, and he's, you know. I mean, imagine, you know, you're kind of walking up in the land. This guy comes running up to you all naked and all cut up. Would you all, like, be standing there? I mean, I don't know about you, but somebody like that, filthy, dirty, cut up, crazy, you know, comes running up to me. I'm probably, like, going, ah! <laughs> right? Wouldn't you? Hey, man, you know, look, uh, many of us, you know, we get out there and it's just a homeless man walk up to you and you're like, mm -hmm. I'm talking about this dude's like, you know, a raving lunatic is another translation of how it says it. Comes running up to you. Comes running up to Jesus. Throws himself. Let me say that it was the desperation of the man that threw himself at Jesus' feet. Demons don't want anything to do with God. But the desperation in that man came to such a point, and when he realized who it was before him, he runs to Jesus, throws himself at Jesus' feet, and it's not him who speaks in that moment, but the demons speak out of him. Jesus, Son of God, what do we have to do with you? Now imagine the disciples, like here's this strange, crazy man, throws himself at Jesus' feet, and out of him speaks the demon. Jesus, Son of God, this crazy man's declaring Jesus. And Jesus casts those demons out of him. What does he do? He wants to go follow Jesus. He says, no, 
you know, go back. Don't tell anybody. Go back to your family and show yourself to them. And he goes back to his family. Imagine that family's joy when their father returns. He's no longer dwelling in the tombs where people are buried, cut up and naked, running around crazy, and the whole town talking about him. But now he's a man whose life has been changed by this man, Jesus Christ. We need to be more interested in the relationship with Jesus than the popularity of the world. You're talking about a post on Twitter. But no, Jesus turned attention away from himself. They wanted to make him king at one point. Like, we want to make you, you're king, you're king. He says, you know what? No, 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 no. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's a, it's a far cry from where our society is today. Our society is becoming so much about self that we don't understand servanthood any longer. We need to raise our children in the ways of God. That's the hope of the world. They're more interested in their children standing before God than their social status. Her children are spiritual, uh, that her children are spiritual than intellectual. It's not that education is bad, it's great. But if education in and of itself is the goal and spirituality is not important, then what happens is, is you end up with somebody that understands, you know, all knowledge, all the mysteries, and doesn't have the love of God in their heart because they've never themselves received God's love for them and his forgiveness for them. So basically, it'll be their ways of life rather than God's way for life. A wonderful example of that. How many of you remember Darwin? Y'all know who Darwin is? You know, in all the, the twisted thought, uh, you know, we think of uh, evolution, if you will. And you think about all that he said. So many uh, philosophers and so many scholars teaching in colleges never quote this statement that Darwin made. They say, this is what it was. Darwin said this. If you take the halo over your God and you place it over a man or his ideas, the generations who follow will not know who to worship. Darwin said that. And what did we do? We took the halo over our God and placed it over Darwin's idea. And the generations who follow embrace, what do they embrace? Evolution over creation. It was the theory of evolution. Do you remember it being a theory? Right, yeah? Yeah? Y'all remember that? It is a theory. Believing in God requires faith. Does it require faith on people's part to believe what Darwin said about evolution? Even when you go to Ecclesiastes? Yes, it actually does. I think it takes more faith to believe in what Darwin said than it does to believe in what Jesus came to do. Because there's proof, there's facts, there's historical facts about Jesus. And what you have is science. Start, oh, wow, we just discovered this and we discovered that. And guess what? They're still discovering. Right? Do you know that the Bible says that God is light? You know what, scientists, they've discovered more and more and more that in everything there's what? Light. Even in the darkest chasms of space, somehow there's light shining through that. When you reflect upon those facts, you begin to understand that, and you go back to the very guy who, who comes up with this theory, and he makes a statement for everybody to understand, look, don't take the halo over God and put it over a man's ideas. Because the generations that follow won't know who to worship. They become lost. And that's why Jesus came. To seek and to save that which is lost. Mothers pass on the legacy 
of authentic faith to your kids. There's a woman by the name of uh, Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of 17. Moms just say, oh my goodness. <laughs> the mother of 17, two of which were John and Charles Le Wesley, uh, who spent an, she spent an hour each day praying for her children, and in addition, she took each child, 17 kids, aside for a full hour each week to discuss spiritual matters. No wonder her children were such great influence in England and America. If you don't know who uh, the Wesley, you know, uh, Charles and John Wesley are, uh, they're the ones that the Wesleyan church came out of. And, and by the way, uh, there was only one county in all of America that did not have a Methodist church which came out of the revivals that took place through these guys' teaching. It was an amazing thing, if you think about it, swept across the whole United States and, and started in England and swept across the whole United States. And these two men were used to do that. It's no small fact that they had a godly, powerful mother who influenced their life. Subdue self, this is her list of things to do with your children. Subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save a soul. Teach the child to pray as soon as they can speak. We just prayed the other night, you know, Elijah, pray, you know. And teach them to pray as soon as they can speak. Give the child nothing he cries for and only what is good for him if he asks politely. Did you catch that? That's a very far cry from what we do today. To prevent lying, punish no fault which is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Point it out if it's confessed, if there's humility about it. Don't punish it. Commend and reward good behavior. Strictly observe all promises you have made to your child. If you make a promise, keep it. Because you talk about a God who keeps his promise to us. You are the example of that. If you make a promise to your children, keep it. Um, here's my list. It goes like this. Be an example of the things you expect. Be an example of the things you expect of your children, mothers. Never punish mistakes. Always punish pride. Never punish mistakes. Always punish pride. Now, punish, I know you hear that word. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. Punish. What does that mean? It's like, well, I don't care what you have to say. Well, I'm doing what I want. It's like, yeah, are you? You know, well, it's my phone. Really? I think I pay that bill. <laughs> I, I think there was a, a friend of mine back in Ohio. I was looking on their Facebook post, and it said, phone, iPhone number three down. And there's a hammer, and they beat it. And basically, uh, they got their kid a new phone. They're doing the wrong things on it. They bust it up, you know, next one and the next one. Let me tell you. One iPhone, we're done. You got a flip phone, or I might even get you one of them old 80s phones you got to carry around, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you got to watch what's going on. 50% of kids today, moms, know this. 50% of kids with data phones today are exposed to porn. They're exposed to people communicating with them that you do not know. It's done through apps that basically they, they go into the app and they can talk and they're out of the app and you never see it on their phone. But there are some wonderful new apps that parents can actually follow everything their kids are doing. Anything they get, you're able to log in and look at what they're doing. And I recommend you do that in your children's life because my kids lied to me. 
God bless you and your family. <laughs> that doesn't make them bad, horrible kids. It just makes them kids with a sin nature like every single one of us in here. But in those moments, it's kind of like this. Prayer has a way of perceiving. Say prayer has a way of perceiving. I'm going to land this plane in a second. Prayer has a way of perceiving. How many times you all walk in and I'd be like, hey, come here. Uh, what's, what's going on? Like, what do you mean? Give me your phone. Just because of being in prayer, God would prompt me. Like, there's some stuff that ain't right. I'd be like, oh, dad, you know. And so what do we do? There was one summer, right? One summer, we're so fed up with it. It's like you're constantly policing. One summer, like, that's it. Give me the phones. Boom, boom, boom. We take them all. What was it? The whole summer? The whole summer we took their, the whole, <laughs> they knew that very clear. <laughs> the whole summer. And I got to tell you, there's an addictive nature to it, right? And so we take their phones, and I'm telling you, that first week, it was hell week. You know, anybody that's been in the military, uh, you know, raising teenagers who want their data phones, uh, I'd rather go through mil military's hell week than go through that. And so here they are, you know, it's like, oh, I mean, they're dying, a million deaths. A month goes by, and the next thing you notice, they're having conversations. We're interacting. There isn't a lot of tension. And, you know, we get through that time. We give them their phones back and give it a few months, and right back we are. You know, know the importance of limiting those things in your kid's life. Say sanctuary. If you want your kids to have a love for God's word and an authentic faith, you got to know the importance of sanctuary. Just, just go Quasimodo on them, you know? Sanctuary, right? You know the guy who rung the bell with the hunchback, right? Notre Dame. Sanctuary. When you call your kids in from playing with other friends, you know, if they've got their data phones, they may not actually be at home. They're down the street, they're halfway around the world, and influences are pumping into their life. God has given you a power to be an influence in their life so that they have sanctuary, so that they can do what? Rest. They can actually rest, start to think clearly, rather than having everybody else's thoughts going through their head, is they have family and connection and, you know, wholesome thoughts of family and that connection rather than, oh, my family's distracting me from my friends and Twitter. And very, very important to fast some of those things in the midst of sanctuary. They've got this new wonderful salt and pepper shaker out where at din the dinner table, you can set it on the dinner table, and what it does is it shuts all phones down. Uh, anybody seen that? Uh, that was an amazing video. I'm watching it. The mom's making dinner. The kids come to the table. They're like, dee, 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 dee. She sets the salt and pepper shaker on the table, and all of a sudden it's like, and the kids are freaking out, man. You know, it's like, okay, dinner time. It's like, but my phone, you know. It's like, don't worry about it after dinner, right? And then the salt and pepper shaker, and it's like, well, why? You know, the kids don't understand it. You know, now I've let the cat out of the bag. If you get it, kids are like, whoa, yeah, you know. <laughs> and teens, look, I, you know, I'm not saying that to deprive you. I'm saying that because uh, whether you know it or not, you're going to grow up one day, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to go off to college, military, wherever you go, you're not going to have that time anymore. It's one of the things we tell our kids. You you'll never have this time again. You'll become an adult, and then you'll start to build your own life. You'll never have this opportunity to establish that kind of connection, to receive 
from the power of your mother's influence, your father's influence for that matter, that there is a deposit and an impartation and a, of, of love and care and guidance that if you, don't, if you don't get it now, then you won't be getting it then. And guess what? You won't be as concerned about going back. I think our kids talk to us more now than they did when they were teens. It's like, you know, phones blown. Like, good Lord. You know, it's like, what do you think I should do? It's like, seriously? Why are you asking me now? You're 20 years old. You know? <laughs> it's the way it is. You become an adult. And, you know, that's the one thing. Like a teen, it's like, I know everything. Uh, you hit your 20s and you go, I don't know anything. I got to call mom and dad, you know. I got to find out what they would do with this situation. Why? Because now a mistake I make. It's not picked up by them. I'm the one that's going to have to fix all this mess. So I think I'll get some counsel for that. Now, just know that it's those years that you were speaking in their life where they didn't want to hear it that causes them to say, I remember they said something about that, but I was focused on Twitter, and I don't know exactly what it was. Let me call them up, you know, or tweet them, you know, whatever it is. But they start to hit you up and ask you questions about things. And let me say that that's only there because of exercising the power of influence in those early stages. In closing, I want to applaud you mothers who take the task seriously of raising your kids, of depositing spiritual things, of turning their hearts to God. Because without Him in their life, this life is all they'll have. The only way for them, see, you gave them life. You brought them into this world. We were all brought into this world by our mothers. They gave us life. But all they could give us was this life. God, through his son Jesus Christ, is the one who gives eternal life. And so I applaud you for taking serious in your life the importance of raising your kids the right way. But all the more for raising them and teaching them the ways of God. Proverbs 31 and 28 says this. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Now say this, I praise my wife for the way that she has raised our kids. I praise my wife today. I think about it, and this hopefully to say to all of us men that we find those opportunities to thank them for the moments that they speak into us to be father, you know, it's like where we're not gentle, to be gentle. I think on those times where I was tough, I mean, I was tough on Wade when my truck got all keyed up. He went to Villa Sport, and he's working out, and uh, he snakes this guy's parking space. He's kind of, you know, there's no parking. He just, like, pulls my truck in there. I told him, I'm like, be careful with my truck, dude. Don't get it all messed up. Because uh, you can drive your mom's bug. He goes, Dad, I ain't driving that car. I look like a sissy driving that thing around. I'm like, I don't care. I really don't care. Yeah. My F-150 is not going to be beat up and torn up, so, you know. Dad, please don't make me drive that bug. I just look so, so wimpy in it. And I'm like, dude, I don't care. And I'd make him drive it sometimes. He's like, Dad, can I? You know, just remember, punish pride, reward humility, basically. He, hey, Dad, uh, can I take your truck? Da, da, da. So I let him take it. And he comes home one night, right? Hey, Dad. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Um, somebody keyed your truck up. I'm like, what? What do you mean they keyed my truck up? They keyed your truck. Hmm. You know, and I'm thinking it's one of those, like, you know, somebody keyed it. I go out there, I'm talking. 20, like 20, you know, 50-inch long, <laughs> down to the metal. They shredded my truck. 
What? You know, I know you're not, you know, things shouldn't have more importance than our children, right? But they do need to know how to respect them. Y'all with me? And I'm like looking at my truck like, oh, oh, I'm losing it. We get in the house. I'm like, when did it happen? He goes, well, when I got there. I'm like, you've been gone for three hours. It's like, yeah, I mean, when I parked, you know, I, had to, I forgot my protein shaker. I ran back out to the truck, and it was keyed up. I'm like, so you knew this three hours ago, and you just now, like, let me know? Did you call the cops? No. I'm like, oh, son. <laughs> so here's the deal. We already knew Wade was going in the military, right? I went drill sergeant mode, mode on him, you know. I'm just like, look, man, here's the deal. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of ripping him up just a little bit. I'm not being mean. I'm just being stern. And Wade kind of, he starts hyperventilating. <laughs> and he's like, honey, you need to lighten up. I'm like, lighten up? He's getting ready to go in the military. This is nothing compared to what they're going to do to him. I'm training him right now, you know? And I got reason to train him right now. Hmm. But she spoke reason into my heart. Why? Because God designed mothers with such power to influence from a place of nurture. And I thank God for that in my wife. I thank God for that in mothers. There's something in them, even in the crisis moments, in in the most difficult moments, somehow they can speak peace into a situation because of the nurture that God's put into them. And it gives their children security, not just for the moment. Listen to me, for their life. I look at so much security in my kids because of the nurture of Angie in their life. And I encourage every mother in here, don't, Don't short sell yourself on the power that God has given you to influence your children and to create for them the best life they can possibly have and one that just doesn't take place for this moment, this time, in this body, but one that is eternal because of the power of influence God has given you to impact them. Amen. Would you stand your feet with me? Here's what I want to ask us to do right now. Could I ask for everybody to put their hands together and applaud our mothers in this room? Can we do that? We appreciate you. We honor you today for everything that you've done in our life. And God bless you. Now here, on your way out, make sure that uh, the youth, they spent some time putting together. They're just a, a small gift. And we've done uh, a Starbucks card for a coffee. And then we found out a lot of our mothers don't drink coffee. And, you know, so it's like, okay. So, you know, they gave it to somebody else. They didn't benefit from it. And we've given you like a, a rose, but they die really quick. And so we decided like, what could we do that really will bless mothers and, and they all should like it? Chocolate. That'll do it. And so, uh, you know, so anyway, they have a small gift they put together. The youth actually packaged all these and they wrote uh, a scripture and a note to all the mothers this past week and put that together for you. On your way out, they'll hand that to you. And God bless you and happy Mother's Day.